Ephesians 1, 15 through 18. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It occurs to me that as I prepare to, to preach the gospel tonight, that there might be a sense of, why can't these Christians, why can't a pastor, why can't we engage, well, why, why aren't we as Christians out there protesting the war? Or, or injustice. You know, in other words, I'm going to get up here and talk about Jesus and our, and our personal knowledge of him. And, and there's a little niggling part of me, a little part of me, and I think a part of many of us, and many people decry us as a church, that why aren't we focused on these issues of justice? Why, why aren't we out there going to preach against war? Or do something about it? Or be engaged with some sort of social change that will make some kind of real difference? I've heard that before. I've heard it, and we'll hear it again, I'm sure. Maybe you'll hear it from your own heart, banging around inside. But you know, it seems to me, it appears to me, I'm actually, it doesn't seem, I'm convinced, that, that, that my responsibility, my duty, and the great need of this hour and this day is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is my conviction. And so this preaching about uh, what we want to look at tonight, or, or this particular subject uh, about the inheritance we have in God, and or the, actually the inheritance we are in God, is, is of utmost relevance for the hour, for the moment, for, the, for this place. These are the very things that are the roots deep inside the causes of all of the calamities of this age. It's this rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's rejection of God. It's arrogance. It's independence. And it's throwing off. Throwing off of the rule of the Lord Almighty and trampling on His grace. You know, and I, 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 it, it makes me wonder, I, I, hope, I wonder if, that, if you wonder about those very things. Is this where power lies for this generation, for us? Or is this self-indulgent for us to talk about salvation? I don't think so. You know, one of the things we pray for, and one of the things that's right inside that text in which, which Corey just gave voice to, was that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, right? And, and what does that speak to but what the core issue is, right? What's the core need of the hour? What's the core need of these people, of us? There's a movement and an action of the spirit of wisdom and revelation to make known to the world the reality of Jesus Christ. This is hope. This is something worth waiting and watching and worship over. And I was just thinking about that. There's a certain part of me that, you know, that we're going we're to deal tonight with, with one of the realities of the gospel. And, and what that prayer, what that prayer that God would open our hearts believes, what is here in the scripture and in my brother's mouth, is that change happens from the inside out, even when it comes to countries 
and nation and conflict and generation of the earth. Change is happening from the inside out. So I, I want us to, we're going to look today, as I've told you, at this next clause. There's a series of three clauses that follow the request that, that, that Paul is making that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus, we would have our eyes of our hearts enlightened and know what first. And we looked at last week was what is hope? And we realized we have a hope, not in a hope so, like this world offers, not in a hope so, like the pundits will offer about war or not war, but we have a hope in and a hope for, and a hope in Jesus. And our hope is not a sentiment, it's not a feeling, it's not an attitude, but it is the waiting watchfulness of a heart full of worship. And I'm just all jazzed about that. Because, I, because that's something I can do. Have you ever heard this, hope is not a strategy? And not, not, not the world's version of hope, I get that. But this, this idea of hope, oh, I know, I know what it is to wait, watch, watch, watching, and worshiping. Now, in, in typical Pauline fashion, what we're going to do here is this next clause is really a continuation of the first clause. And that there is a, there's, a, there's a wonderful grammatic unity, grammatical unity, but it's, there's a theological unity. And that, so, and, and Clay, Clay actually, and I got a chance to talk about this briefly this week, and, and one of the Clay, things Clay said was, well, you know, it's wonderful to hear that hope is waiting, but what are we waiting for? <laughs> what are we waiting for? And I think that is going to be unpacked, not just not only this week, but in the weeks to come, because, because it's a vision of heaven and Christ ascended. Christ ascended on the throne. That is the hope in these times. Oh, I love that. I love that picture. The supremacy over death. So, so tonight, tonight, though, we're looking at this idea. This, it really it expands the watching and watch, waiting and watchful worship that's in this first clause here. That you may know the, what is the hope to which he has called you. And it expands it with beauty and power and what? More hope. Better waiting, better, clearer watching, and a rarefied worship, I really think, a, a, a worship that expands. All right, so, and, and, and it begins with this idea of inheritance. God wants an inheritance. Now, it's interesting, if we can read this clause, if you read it with me. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, this could be interpreted and has been interpreted as talking about us inheriting something from him. But I do not take it either grammatically or theologically to be what this is saying at all. In fact, I think it's saying something much more wonderful. I was reading one of my favorite preachers about this text, and he completely disagreed with me. And, I, and, I, and I, it made me really feel kind of insecure. <laughs> like, oh, whoa, whoa, what am I doing? But uh, I went back to test my own, test my own assertion, and I found it grammatically Dramatically correct. What am I saying? This is talking about God wanting an inheritance. God desiring for himself and having in view something for himself. And I just think that's sing. I don't know what it is about that. Something about getting clued in, getting invited in, getting God sharing, as it were, the nature of his heart. Ooh. I get excited about that. The whole idea of God wanting, seeking, and 
waiting and watching for his inheritance. And our hoping, waiting, watching, it just, it's, back, it's kind of a backstop. His waiting and watching is a backstop for us. He's waiting for the same things we are. Praise him. <laughs> and this very, this very outset of this point, this idea that's presented to us in this clause, this idea of the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints, in the Holy Ones. I just, I get all jazzed about this. All right, so I think there's three questions which we, we need to entertain in order to pop this open and hopefully gain some encouragement, some hope, some, some watchful waiting for ourselves, some encouragement of our hearts. And these three questions is, what is this inheritance language all about? Why use this word inheritance? What does it mean? Why is this metaphor so all over the scripture? Second, what does glorious mean when it modifies inheritance? What does it mean at a glorious inheritance? And then finally, who are these holy ones? Who are the saints? Who are they? There's a final word in the text that we're not going to deal with directly, and that's riches. But I think as we answer each of these questions, I hope I to present you with the riches of the gospel, and you're for joy. And I hope that's what I'm hoping to do. All right, so let's begin with the first. What's this concept of inheritance? It, it, it strike you, and I'll, I'll tell you, the preacher that I disagreed with, he made a statement that convinced me he was wrong as he was trying to defend himself as being right. And what I mean by this is that he said, it is so odd why does the God who possesses all things need an inheritance? And I just tingled when I heard that because I was like, yeah, that's the point. Because it's so jarring. The heavens and the earth belong to the Lord and the fullness thereof. Every bit, every atom, every galaxy from 93 billion light years of the observable universe belongs to the Lord Most High. He claims it. He created it. It bears his glory. He claims it as his own. Period. And then the scriptures describe him as wanting and waiting for an inheritance. Oh, don't you... It's meant to be that... It's meant to... You're meant to go... You're meant to stumble on this. You're meant to. Because it, it is such an, a wild idea in the scriptures. Because it, be, it begins to portray a God who is not like what we expect. A God who is greater than our expectations, greater than our imagination. A, a God, a living God. <laughs> There's something about this that's it's, it's very powerful for me. And, and I think invites us. And, and by the way, this isn't the only text. Text after text in the Old Testament talks about God regarding his people as his inheritance. You know what's funny about the word inheritance? You know, everything it connotates. It's something we all can connect with, right? It's something we all can, we can relate to the joy of, of the idea. Maybe none of you have an inheritance. I don't know if you do or not. You know, I don't have one to speak of, but I know what it is to want one. <laughs> there was rumors years ago, my grandfather invited uranium mines. And, and nobody knows where the stick and so stock certificates are. He bought them in the 30s. And there's a running joke in my family that, that we're all sitting on millions and we don't know it. Now, if that happens to be true, then the joke really is on us. Nobody knows where they are even. They were just penny stocks my grandfather bought years ago. But it's funny how just that, I remember as a kid hearing that and wondering, ooh, maybe someday, maybe someday we won't be so poor. What's, what am I latching on? 
We all know this feeling of something we want that's out of reach that we have to wait for. So does our Heavenly Father. And I think that's just wonderful. I think it's just wonderful that He is so like us and that, and that we are so like Him. But there's something, I, I think this invites us into the living God. You know, Natalie asked me a little while ago, why do you always get excited about the living God? I'll tell you why. Because you know how many people I tell, tell me on a, uh, on a regular basis how the, how, how the universe is good to them? Or the universe is going to pay them back? And I just want to shake them and I go, the universe is dead! <laughs> There's nothing in the universe living but us that we know of. And the universe has no consciousness. And as far as I can tell, 99.999 to some extreme number, 99.99% of the universe is ready to kill you at any given Think about it. Everything's hostile outside of this little bubble. Everything that we can see would kill us. Everything. The universe is not listening to you. That's a dead God. What do I worship? What do we worship? We worship the living God. And a living God, a living person, wants his inheritance. All of us would. And so does he. Why do I get so excited about this? Because suddenly God's jumping out of the page, leaping out of the page. You know, you know what's interesting? This addresses immediately the problems of a stale God, a stale theology. You know, a God, a God I don't know whether your God, picture of God is, is simply an abstract, the supreme being. By the way, I hate that name. If you want to get me, annoy me, call God the supreme being. Well, I just, I might even say anything, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel it inside. Supreme being. What? <clears throat> um, Grandfather God, maybe some grandfather in a big chair. Watchmaker God, all these visions of God, they're all stale. And you know what a stale God, stale God, everybody throws that away. And if we worship a stale God, a God who's not alive, a God who is not able to, re a God who's not waiting for his inheritance, that's living, you know, that's a living, that's life. That's a God who I can have a relationship with. That's a God I can know, and he can know me. That's exciting. This picture of God, he just jumps off the page. Jesus tried to tell us about it sometimes. I don't know if you remember some parables, the lost coin, and the, and the, and the, the treasure in the field. And he just wants to grab, he wants to, and he's tweaking us. He, he's presenting a God that just doesn't, that we're, that just not, we're not that comfortable with in the end, are we? It's a God who's living. And, you know, I, so the woman, I love the woman. Picture that this is the parable as told by me, Okay. She can't find her wedding ring. It's like she woke up in the morning. She's going through her morning ritual. Her husband's away at work for this, in this particular story. I don't care if you think it's sexist. It's true in some parts of the world. And she can't find her wedding ring. Well, she goes into a, into a, into a state, into a, into a panic. She begins to comb through the house, you know, cushions up, cushions up, under the bed. She starts cleaning in places and cursing herself for all the dirt she's finding. If you're a man, all that kind of things. Where's my wedding ring? The panic increases through the day. There's a point at which, when the panic, when you lose something that valuable and that precious and that meaningful to you, that you, you get tunnel vision. You kind of, you kind of think anymore. She calls all her friends. Uh, you need to pray for me. I can't find, I can't find my wedding ring. Uh, and then she, she's like, oh, maybe I need to call the plumber. Maybe I was washing my hands. And you know, because you can't, well, it's just washing my, I washed my hands last night and this morning. And maybe it's in, maybe it's in the drain. Maybe it's in that little, that little you, uh, that little trap that traps gases in the bottom of the drain. That little, that's what that's for. You never know. A little water sits in there and it can catch the rain. And that's goes, she goes through all that. Maybe she tries to scour it. Maybe she calls a plumber. At this point, 
She's ragged with fear. She's crying out to God and doesn't feel heard. She doesn't know what to do. And then she calls one of her, her mom. And her mom says, honey, 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 think through everything you did yesterday. What would you do? Think through every... And then she remembers. I was in the garden. I wore gardening gloves. And she rushes down to the garden shed. She pours it and she rustles it. And, what it, and there it is. There it is. There it is. And you know, you all know the relief, the thankfulness, the joy, <laughs> the peace. Oh. oh, she texts all her friends now. Oh, yeah, I found it. I found it. I'm such a knucklehead. I found it. Oh, I'm so excited. I found it. Thanks for praying for me. I found it. And you know what? That's a picture of God delighting over Carol and how excited he is when Spencer will be with him. What a God. Did you ever think God was like this? Did you ever imagine that he was like this? The idea that he wants, that he seeks, that he waits for an inheritance when he possesses everything means that you are more valuable than everything. <laughs> you are more valuable than the universe. He already has the universe. He wants intimacy with you. He seeks intimacy with you. Oh, I get a thrill out of this. I get a kind of excitement. And uh, you know what this is? This getting rid of these false visions of God that are stale. Well, these are his riches when we give that up. And when we begin to know him and see him as he is, when we begin as with wonder, uh, our, 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 our eyes wide, our mouths hanging open, what sort of God is this? Eternal, immortal, invisible, God only wise. Waiting for Doug. Doesn't, doesn't compute. But grace rarely does unless the Holy Spirit helps us to see it. And that's what we need to be praying for. Let God open this up to you so that you can join in his joy. And that's what we're doing here. That's, what, that's why these riches are so wonderful for us. This is why it's one of these riches to know God as he truly is. Not as we have imagined him. Not as we have supposed, not as we created, but as we he's actually, actually actually is. And when we start seeing that, all bets are off. And our little models that we use, our intellectual models that we put together, and we think they, they crumble because they, they don't have any power. We must receive God as he is proclaimed in the scriptures, as he proclaims himself in oh, Micah, you are my inheritance. Oh, my goodness, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. But if God wants his inheritance, let's go on. What does it mean that it's glorious? English does not serve us well here, I'm afraid. <laughs> English does not help us. Uh, glorious, especially as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an adjective, glory is a noun, it's a little easier, but as an adjective, we think, you know, hair can be glorious. I used to have glorious hair. It's not that glorious anymore. Um, we might say a sunset's glorious. We might say victory would be glorious. But none of those meanings will work here. That's not the glory that it's speaking of. This is the glory that God possesses in himself. This is the glory that radiates in his fame and renown and his greatness. This is the glory that the angels fall before and can't look him in the face. This is the glory that shines. This is a glory that's not merely me telling of his renown, but it's a glory that's so intense that physical reality shines with it. <laughs> and yeah, it's amazing. It's his glory. 
And so it, this is describing the glory that God, get beyond it, get this. Now this is describing the glory that God gets in inheriting us. It gets better and better. Not only is he wanting, waiting and watching and inviting us into that waiting and watching and standing with us as the other party waiting and watching and with hopeful hearts. Oh, but what's at what's work? His glory. He takes a glory in inheriting you. You as his, as his treasure. A glory in you and me. We are a part of the glory of God. The Father of glory, as he's described in the text. That's his name. I, uh, you know, we, we celebrate this in our catechism because it becomes the fundamental thing which operates the wheels of the universe. What is the chief purpose of clay? And why was he made? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Same with Tim. Same with me. Praise Him. Praise Him beyond all praise. What does this help us deal with? You know, the first point is trying to get us rid of those false visions of God that are so limiting. This, your God is too small. Your God is in the little box you put Him in. He's not living and active. What, is it, this gets, what this addresses now is the evil suspicion. It's what Tim was just talking about tonight. And we have all engaged with it at some level with God Most High. And that is where we sit there and we go. I believe it all. But does he really, does he really, does he really care about me? Does he really care for me? We begin to get suspicious. I remember my mom would say, oh, when something good would happen, very Irish, <gasps> something good happened, you know what that means. Something bad's going to follow. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? That's, you know what that is? That's evil suspicion. That's just saying, oh, no, 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 wait a second. Oh, he liked me today, but you know what? He might be out to get me tomorrow. I, I, it, it, it get, when it gets hold of your soul, it starts to color everything around you. And you begin to wonder and worry, and what are you treating God? You're treating God as a genie. Remember the rules with the problem with the genie? Actually, you know what the genies were in, in, ancient, in, in the ancient... Uh, uh, near in the ancient Middle East, um, they were demons, essentially. They were demons. There's all sorts of traditions about those demons being locked up by Solomon. It's kind of <laughs> wild and fascinating. But, but the genies could, offer, could answer wishes. But they hated their service. They hated it. They hated humanity. They hated everything. And, and so you could add, they had to give you what you asked. So you better be really, really careful how and what you ask for. You might ask for a million, to be a millionaire and then be made into a drug dealer who want the cops after you. You see, that was the idea, is that you have to be really careful with a genie. Don't treat God like a genie. There is no malevolence in him. There's only a desire for his glory in and through you. Now, um, I remember this poignantly. Was, um, she had asked for prayer for her husband, and we always did public prayer like this. What we do, and we had that custom in all my in the churches that I've led, and I love it. And uh, and uh, uh, we were um, 
and, and I, she'd asked for prayer for her husband. And I prayed, I was leading prayer that day, and I, I accidentally prayed for him to have patience. I didn't think about it, I just prayed that he would have patience. And I get done, I get done with, uh, done praying for the communion, just the way, say doxology, just like we do here. We've always done that in my churches too, and, and churches that I've led. They're not my churches or his, but, and, uh, and, uh, She's marching right towards me. And I'm like, oh gosh. What? And she's a strong old woman. And she walked right to me. She goes, how dare you? How dare you? I'm like, what, what's up, Sarah? I, I don't understand. What's, what, what, what are you upset? How dare you pray for patience? How dare you? Don't you know that that means suffering? I never pay for patience. Now, what was her view of God? He's an evil genie. You got to watch out. You got to be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. As the Lord would have it, as the Lord would have it in that specific instant, within two months, we, he and I were working on the roof of the, of the church together. And he could be a bit cocky at times. He didn't want to go down the ladder and thought he could make the eight foot jump off the roof. Now, that, the ground below that rooftop looked like dirt, but it wasn't. It was actually concrete under the dirt. I didn't see him jump. I had already walked down the alleyway from where that was, and I, they came running out. He broke, shattered. I don't know if you know this, but your heels are like eggs. The bone is like an egg. And when it cracks, the whole thing just cracks into pieces. He broke both of his heels, couldn't walk for half a year. Maybe she had a point. But it wasn't the point that God is malevolent. No, a part of his glory is that he redeems our suffering even when he sends it. I want to be about his glory. You know, I, um, I want you, you need to trust his claim. And this is the riches that are here for us. Trust his claim that you are his inheritance. You and me, and that it is glorious. You are not a nobody, and you are not irrelevant. You are not insignificant, and your life and prayers and work and suffering is not meaningless. I think that's the lie, a lie straight out of hell. It smells like smoke, because that's where it comes from. It comes from the devil. Don't trust him. He makes his people suffer. Don't trust him. You can't trust him. Oh, don't listen to him anymore. Don't listen to that evil voice. He is utterly trustworthy. But if you're going to be about his glory, he reveals his glory in many, many different ways. He revealed his glory in the suffering of his own boy, his own son, who he loved above all things. He loves you above all things, too. Suffering is one of the marks of his love. You know, I, um, went, I heard this just this week. I never heard this before. But, um, there's a true story about an old believer told, told a pastor. He said, you know, I, I went to the Lord to pray, and I, I felt led by the Spirit to pray, and, and I, knew, I knew what I wanted to pray, which was, you know, when will I get out of all these troubles? When will I get out of all this suffering? 
I said, I went, he said he went to the Lord to pray, and he got to his knees, and he heard his own voice saying something different than what he intended to say. And instead of saying, when, he said, what are you going to do with all this suffering? What are you going to do about all these suffering? Instead of, when are you, instead of when are you going to solve my problem, what, are you going to, what am I going to find in this problem? You know that subtle change there? You know, when am I going to get out of my sufferings as opposed to what am I going to get out of my sufferings? Is a world of difference, isn't it? And one is a daughter or a son living for their inheritance, and one is living out of it, and not living in it at all. I think that's one of the blessed works of the Holy Spirit. And it fed my heart, because I could hear my own voice wanting to ask when, and I could hear the Holy Spirit to say to me, no, what will you get out of all your sufferings? Not when will you get out of them. What will you get out of them? Glory for the Lord most high. Glory of his Son. But let's ask, let's ask the last question. If God wants his inheritance, who are these saints? <laughs> How could this be me? <laughs> you know, the saints, holy ones. I, 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 think the, I think, again, we're going, dealing with the problem with demonic lies in the world. I think the, the whole, the, 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 our enemy lied to the church a long time ago to deceive us that, into thinking that there were two tiers of believers. There's uh, super believers, you know, like, don't I, I kind of look the part, don't I? And, and then there's all y'all. What a sad and sorry distinction. It grew out of, I think, a real problem, though. I think there is a deep cognitive dissonance, a spiritual dissonance we feel, because we know we know certain things. We know that we, 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 we know a certain standard of holiness that we should live to, and we know that we're loved and made holy in God, but, but we look at our lives, and it's littered with failure. It's littered with the tragedy of our choices and our own sinful worship and our own ickiness and yuckiness and this is a real problem for me as a minister um you've probably heard me complain at played about this is that you know I, one of the reasons I, I i grumble about god calling me to the ministry is i'm just i'm not very good at being good i'm good at being bad i'm not good at being good i've known other guys who were pastors who were just good at being good i mean it's like they just were good at it and i looked at them like how do you do that? <laughs> Why is everything in me just want to do evil all the time? Why am I constantly so bent and twisted inside? Why is it? Why? What? And I complained to God. Well, why would you do this? For why? 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 You know. And uh, and you know my wine goes on. But I think I realized something. Because what this is saying here is there is not some special class of super saint who did the miracles or some super holy person. No, this is what is declared over us in the work of Jesus Christ. We are made holy. We are declared. It's transactional. It's actually, it's kind of strange that way. We're just, we're just declared. You know, every time the word saint is used in the Bible, it refers to God's people, all of them. Again and again, the holy ones are brought up in the Bible and the Psalms and the poems of the Old Testament. And again and again, it's all the people of God. And this idea that he calls them holy, that's not holy. How can God call holy what is not holy? How does he do that? 
Well, he does that through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and the holiness that Jesus bought and delivers to you by faith. And oh, it gets good. And all of a sudden, what is this? This is something declared over you. You're a holy daughter. I know you personally. Amen. Amen. And amen. You know, I, I was sharing with a, a, a man who wanted to become a Christian. And one of the things holding him back was a real knowledge that even his faith, he could say, to put it right in front of my face, my faith, if I ever had it, would just be for me. I know I'm coming for all the wrong reasons. The more I learn about this faith, the more I realize I am corrupt just by wanting it. Wow. And I went to share something with the gospel. And, and I, I found out, I said, I said, brother, I think, I think maybe I can be a help with you here. I don't want to say this. I don't want this to be true, but it is true. I, I, there's something monstrous in me. Something monstrous of the evil. And I despair of it. But I have learned this. Jesus did that to make me a testimony to the most wicked of people, that he can love and has unlimited patience for sinners. You see, there, there's a treasure. There's a silk purse in the pig's ear. <laughs> and God makes it, right? And he crafts it. It's something beautiful. And I, and I think... And, as I can, and, and when I can walk in that, I can walk my held, held, high, held high even when I know I'm aware of the great dissonance spiritually, cognitively, relationally between what I believe and what, and what God has declared over me and what is going on in this rotten, this rotten husk of a heart. This rotten husk of my flesh. And it seems as I grow in grace, my awareness of how rotten I am inside is grows too. Grows too. Who will save this wretched man that I am? Praise be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 7. Go and read it. I can praise him. Are you willing to... Can you lay hold of that inheritance of God as a saint? It's what he has declared and purchased in the blood of his son over you. Because it gives him great glory to do this. And once you're that saintly that saintly, beautiful person recreated in Jesus. You know what God says as he looks on you? He doesn't look on me and go, oh, if I could, oh, oh, gosh, not Chris. Oh, I get so afraid of him saying that to me. <laughs> no, he doesn't, but he doesn't. He doesn't. You must tell me he doesn't. I'm telling you he doesn't. Let us tell each other that he doesn't. No, he declared me as holy. Praise him. In this final, in the saints idea, you know, it gives us something, and it's something we live into. You know, it's funny. A lot of our holiness with our bodies and our money and our affections and our mouths and whether we're and getting rid of lies and cursing and, and tongue control or, or what we look at and what we want and how we struggle with envy and, and hatred and bitterness about what people have said and, and all this stuff's in there, right? Whoo, it's all in there. Um. When God declares us as holy, what part of the riches in this is, is, is we could live into that. What do I mean by that? That woman who finds the wedding ring. Let's take the parable in a completely different direction. 
let's say she finds it, and she's walking at the stove, and she realizes the stove's a little crooked. You know, it's not quite sitting right. So she takes that wedding ring, and she uses it to prop up the corner of the stove. What? Oh, no, no, well, let's say she does something different. Maybe she's struggling to have the, the front door stay open. And so she, you can use a wedding ring, you can use it as kind of like a little wedge to keep the door open. Or maybe she could use it to hang dirty wash rags to dry. Why wouldn't she do any of those things? Because that's so precious to her. And in the same way, the holiness that God declares over you is what you were made for. You know, the next time you're off, you know, doing something stupid, thinking something inane, doubting, cursing, angry, bitter, whatever your poison is, whatever, whatever your monstrous heart looks like. <laughs> uh, remember, I picture God kind of picking you up sometimes and dusting you off because that's not what you're made for. Why can't you just do what you're made for? <laughs> Which is to live in that wonderful expectation that the God who has declared Clay and me and Spencer and Corey is holy is waiting and watching for how he's going to cash in on that promise, cash in on that declaration as a promise from himself to his own son and his own son's oh, promise to him and the work of the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing what? Our inheritance. And so I think these are some of the riches here. I think these are some of the riches for you and I to enjoy. And I'm hoping that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is doing the same thing in you that he's been doing in me when I work on these texts. And that is, he's opening up the eyes of my heart. He's turning the lights on. And I'm seeing and understanding things I didn't see and understand before. And now I present to you a God, a God who I think you can now turn to when you're feeling suspicious and afraid. Because he's the God on his tippy toes, as it were. <gasps> what, are they what am I going to see them? My inheritance. <gasps> Can't wait for my inheritance. And he's talking about you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how are we going to understand these things unless you explain them to us? Unless you open them up? Father, how, should we, how can we rejoice in these things unless you, unless you show them to us? You know, I've gotten in this thing now where I'm at, I ask, asking people I'm witnessing to, to just to pray for you to reveal yourself to them. And, uh, to them. and I, I, Father, I, we're all there right now. Reveal yourself to us. Reveal yourself as the living God. Reveal this picture of you and your glory, what your glory is. Reveal what it means for you to declare over us that we are saints, we are your holy ones, made holy by Jesus. Oh my goodness, Father. This is life for us. We need life. We're tired of the death inside us and around us. It comes out of us. Ugh. Father, we plead. And this is one of those things that we get, to, we get to be a little bit more demanding because this is your will. It is your will that your people know these things. So we only ask, how long before you spread this knowledge deep into our hearts and out from this place and, and into San Francisco? And Father, we, we ask for that work, we, we, and we ask for you to do what it is you have come to do. But we, we ask for this. I really ask that a vision of you 
excited about us as your inheritance would be a treasure for all, all of us tonight. Uh, this whole week long, <laughs> we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.